Hello, I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. It's Saturday, December 9th, 2023. This is our Congregation of Prayer, a guide for daily meditation and prayer around God's Word. Uh, come to you each morning at 9 a.m., except for Sundays where we have divine service at 9.30. And uh, on Saturdays during the school year, we look at tomorrow's Old Testament and epistle reading, do some consideration of those in order to prepare to hear the gospel. Um, and remember, especially uh, as you heard on Wednesday evening in our divine service then, our midweek service, that the season of Advent is a time of preparation for our Lord's coming, not just um, coming to us in the manger at Christmas, but also coming to us in word and sacrament, which is to come to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. So it also points forward then to the, the last day and the final judgment and uh, the verdict that Christ will render there as already ours now by faith and there by sight. So um, it may sound a little bit negative Nelly, I suppose, to talk about judgment and uh, cataclysm and you know destruction of the world. You think, how does that prepare us for Christmas? Well, this is what Christ comes to do actually, is to overthrow powers and principalities in the heavenly places, to destroy the power of death and the devil, and to usher in a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness and glory dwells. All right, so let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, he descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our psalm this week has been Psalm 24. And of course, you can hear echoes of the last day when the angels will open the gates for the coming Savior and bringing in all the saints behind him, right? At the end of the psalm. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Glory be to the Father and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Today would be a good day for us to have a meditation on the psalm. I wanted to do it earlier this week, but this week has been pretty intense. So, Psalm 24 in the Hebrew, 23 in the Greek. As indicated in the New Testament, the recorded testimony of eyewitnesses is the basis for the church's proclamation of the gospel, and consequently for the articles of the creed. See John 1, 14, Acts 1, 21, 22, 1 Corinthians 15, and 1 John 1. Certain specific events occurring within time and space were both the direct objects of empirical observation and the topics of apostolic preaching. Quote, for we cannot but speak of the things which we have seen and heard. Acts 4, verse 20. There are exceptions to this rule, nonetheless, for certain other events, though central to both the gospel and the creed, 
were neither seen nor heard by anyone on the earth. They were not empirically available within time and space for the simple reason that they did not take place in this world. Such events include the conquering descent of Christ into Hades, see Ephesians 4, 9, 1 Peter 3, 19, and his glorious entrance into heaven. These two events are celebrated on Holy Saturday and Ascension Thursday, respectively. The days at either side of that period during which the risen Lord presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Acts 1 verse 3. Relative to the Lord's ascension, we may say that the church saw him going, Luke 24, 51, Acts 1, 9, but not arriving. The church saw him going, but not arriving. That triumphant arrival in heaven nonetheless, Jesus' crowning as Lord of all, is explicitly affirmed in the New Testament. Mark 16, 19, Philippians 2, 9, 1 Timothy 3, 16, ascended to the right hand of the Father, right? The heavenly glorification of our Lord Jesus Christ is not simply an aftermath to our redemption, but rather an essential component of the very sacrifice of the cross. The heavenly glorification is an essential component of the very sacrifice of the cross. His ascension is integral to our Lord's priesthood. Indeed, if Jesus simply were on earth, he would not be a priest, Hebrews 8.4. The atoning sacrifice of Christ did not end on Golgotha, but was rendered perfect and complete by his divine entrance into the eternal Holy of Holies. Quote, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Hebrews 9, 11, and 24. Thus our psalm is a celebration of the Lord's entrance into that heavenly sanctuary and royal court. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in the holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. The blessing from the Lord and this righteousness from the God of his salvation is the eternal redemption won for us by the sacrifice of Jesus at his heavenly glorification. Quote, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption, Hebrews 9.12. But this man, after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, Hebrews 10.12. The king of glory comes to the entrance of heaven with the blood of the conflict still fresh upon him. See Isaiah 63 and Revelation 19.13. And a kind of dialogue takes place as the angels call for the opening of the portcullis at the approach of the returning warrior. Quote, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Still with the blood of conflict on him. See that? The moment, however, is most special and most to be prolonged. Indeed, the moment is eternal, and the angelic dialogue goes on. Lift up your heads, O gates, lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. By virtue of the redemption, all of creation belongs to this Jesus, King and Priest. For God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above uh, all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Thus our psalm begins, the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, and the world and those who dwell therein. It's one of the best meditations, I think, from Father Reardon in his book, Christ in the Psalms. Right, Really vivid, paints a vivid picture, doesn't it? All right, our memory verse for the week, if you abide in my word, 
You are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John 8, verse 31 through 32. All right, let's see if you can say it without looking. Uh, I know it's hard. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John 8, verse 31 through 32. Okay. Catechism this week has been uh, from the Lord's Prayer. So what is the second petition? Thy kingdom come. What does this mean? The kingdom of God certainly comes by itself without our prayer, but we pray in this petition that it may come to us also. How does God's kingdom come? God's kingdom comes when our Heavenly Father gives us his Holy Spirit, so that by his grace we believe his holy word and lead godly lives here in time and there in eternity. What is the third petition? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does this mean? The good and gracious will of God is done even without our prayer, but we pray in this petition that it may be done among us also. How is God's will done? God's will is done when he breaks and hinders every evil plan and purpose of the devil, the world, and our sinful nature, which do not want us to hallow God's name or let his kingdom come, and when he strengthens and keeps us firm in his word and faith until we die. This is his good and gracious will. Good. So, the Old Testament reading for tomorrow might sound familiar to you if you were here in church on uh, Wednesday, because it was also our, Old Test- our first reading on Wednesday night. Uh, fulfilled, I would argue, especially Elijah the prophet, verse 5, in John the Baptist, which is why we heard it. Uh, But we'll take a little bit different tack with it here today. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out like and grow fat like stall-fed calves, You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be as ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. All right. So, for behold, the day will come. Here's what Luther has to say. All this is being said about Christ. Those who fear God are comforting each other and are saying these things to each other. At the time when they trust in the in his word, the righteous certainly have everything opposing them. On the other hand, the wicked have everything going well for them. This is not the way it will always be for both groups, but only until the hour came, that is, the day will come, namely the day of Christ's kingdom. So for now, um, we have everything opposing us, and the wicked and the proud have everything going for them. But on that day, there will be that great reversal. Um, And that will leave them neither root nor branch. Luther says, here the light of the gospel has burned and devoured the entire synagogue, right? Those who lived according to the old and refused to believe in Christ. Now it has neither root nor branch, neither kingdom nor priesthood. The day of the revelation of the gospel has consumed all these so that nothing of them remains. And then the son of righteousness will rise for you who fear, right? So Luther's going a law gospel route here. In the Mosaic kingdom that's under the law, there is pure darkness. All things are hidden in mystery and are confused. Mystery. Ministerio. Yeah, he means mystery. Okay. Then the wicked will be separated from the righteous by something shining, obviously by the open truth of God through the gospel of Christ. Here you see the kingdom of Christ again described in such a way that it is a ministry of the word, right? Law and gospel. Burning up the wicked and raising up the dead. He is saying... Indeed, a new sun will shine, and it is not that sun which also animals see. It is the sun of righteousness, that is, the sun who justifies, 
who sends out the sort of rays that make men righteous and free from their sins, who drives out every harmful attitude of fleshly lust. These rays are the word of the gospel, forgiveness of sins, which penetrates hearts and is seen as that sun only by the eyes of the heart that is by faith. It is closer to the righteous than is that visible physical sun. You see, it shines by the Holy Spirit. It shines day and night. Clouds do not hinder it. It is always rising. It will rise for those of you who fear, who fear the name of God, obviously. That is, the humble, those who are not presumptuous, those who do not trust in their own works, but recognize that they are sinners. And it will come with healing in its wings. Here you clearly see that we cannot explain this at the last day when the judgment will come. But now there will be salvation and protection under the shadow of Christ. Such then is the rule of Christ that he himself is the mediator and protector, the way a hen protects her chicks from the hawk. Therefore, let everyone who wants to be safe from the wrath and judgment of God seek refuge under the wings of Christ. This is what the law urges. Under the law, there is weakness and condemnation. Under the wings of Christ, under the gospel, there is strength and salvation. So the law drives us away from trusting ourselves unto Christ and under his wings. Under his wings, um, one hides under his wings when he believes. The sun rises when the gospel is preached. Therefore, though you may be a sinner, yet you will be safe when you flee for refuge under his wings. You will not fear death. The lust of your flesh will not overpower you. You shall go forth like calves leaping from the stall. Here is the fruit of faith and of the kingdom of Christ, a happy conscience, a public confession of faith, thanksgiving, joy and affliction, preaching, and the conversion of others to salvation. And so then, um, you know, you notice how Luther is emphasizing that the son of righteousness is the gospel, forgiveness of sins in Christ. So then what of the law? Because he does say in verse 4, remember the law of Moses, my servant. Uh, Malachi has now prophesied about the kingdom of Christ, but it is not yet come. He says, in the meantime, be included under the law until that sun shines. All right, so remember Malachi was died in about 397 BC, right? But now that Christ has come, there's no need to be under the law in the way that Malachi would in, um, insist here. The law will last until the time of him who will not come without first sending ahead his messenger, who will say that he is there. Therefore, neither neglect Moses nor put him aside. He bears witness to you about Christ. He holds you back from evil. When the time comes for me to free you, I will send you my messenger in the spirit and courage of Elijah, etc. This passage, then, is the closing of the Holy Scripture, the end of the Old Testament. Here the prophet stops and waits for the messenger Elijah, who of course is John the Baptist who is going to perform the function of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children. Thus they will recognize the wisdom and faith of their fathers. They will all together be in harmony about Christ. Right? Christ himself is the Son. All the rest is night and darkness. Okay? So now that Christ has come, not, we bear witness to Christ. Uh, or as Paul says in Galatians, we were only under the law as a tutor until Christ comes. Right? So that doesn't mean that the law um, cannot serve to uh, instruct, uh, well, one, to accuse the old Adam, um, but also to uh, instruct the new man. It is the instruction of the new man. It shows us what righteousness looks like, right? But it's not there. Um, well, we aren't to look to Moses for salvation. We look to Christ now for salvation. That's what Luther is emphasizing here. When the son of righteousness comes, you will look to him to be saved and no longer be under the law. But for now, you know, at the time of Malachi, we must remain under the law. This is why um, we never, <clears throat> Christian preachers, never leave people um, back under the burden of the law. Right? We're always setting people free in the forgiveness of sins in Christ Jesus to live in him, all right? not under Moses. Now, that sounds controversial, I suppose, to some, but, uh, well, that is what uh, both Luther taught here. Uh, it is what Malachi is saying, and it's certainly what the ministry of John the Baptist is all about, showing Jesus as the fulfillment of the law 
and uh, fulfilling all righteousness and pointing to him as the one who gives his righteousness as a gift, the Lamb of God, right? Now, that kind of confidence um, that we can turn to Christ for salvation and remain steadfast in him um, is what Paul emphasizes at the end of Romans, here Romans 15. Whatever things were written before, like under Malachi, were written for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope, a hope of the Son of Righteousness, right? Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore receive one another, just as Christ also received us, to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made to the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, For this reason I will confess you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise him, the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and him the Gentiles shall hope. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So our confidence, our hope, our joy, and our peace all come in our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father who sent him, right? And that's how we encourage one another um, in that like-minded faith and confession uh, worked by the Holy Spirit, right? This is all gift to you, um, but it is gift by which you, it's the only gift by which you can actually have any confidence um, as you face the coming judgment, right? Is that you are in Christ and he is yours. Um, I like to share this article of um, our confessions frequently, um, but it does show you the purpose of the giving of the scriptures, that in this, that through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope, you know, and not just vain or vacant hope, but confident hope. Um, this is, seems to be a Lutheran distinction. I, I just don't hear it from other, many other Christians. There's always some kind of um, maybe in the background. Maybe you're saved. Maybe you're one of the elect. Maybe um, God will preserve you in the faith, or, or I hope, like, I, it might happen. And I don't believe that's actually what Jesus says. That <laughs> uh, he says, you're baptized. You're my child. I won't leave you or forsake you. Um, I will be with you always, even to the end of the ages, as he says before he sends. That should give us confidence, not just a kind of a hopefulness, but a confident hope. All right? So, against this false delusion that we, uh, I better tell you what that is, those who, uh, that, that we, I got to go backwards a little bit. This is article 11, by the way, of the Formula of Concord. Uh, that think that think that somehow um, you know we might might or might not be saved. Again, this false delusion and thought we should against it we should set up the following clear argument, which is sure and cannot fail. All Scripture is inspired by God. It is not for self confidence and lack of repentance, but for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. First, our Second Timothy three sixteen. Also, everything in God's Word has been written for us, not so that we should be driven to despair by it but so that through the encouragement in the, of the scriptures we might have hope. Therefore, there is no question that the lack of repentance or despair should not in any way be caused or strengthened by the sound sense or right use of this teaching about God's eternal foreknowledge. The scriptures teach this doctrine that God has elected us to salvation only to direct us to the word, Ephesians 1.13, 1 Corinthians 1.7, to encourage repentance, 2 Timothy 3.16, to encourage repentance, 2 Timothy, or I did that, and godliness, Ephesians 1.14, John 15.3, and to strengthen faith and assure us of our salvation, Ephesians 1.13, John 10, 27, 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 14. All right? So that through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have 
hope not that we be driven to despair, right? Scripture is not given for self-confidence or lack of repentance, right? It does call us to repentance. It does drive us to Christ, but that we have confident hope, not despair, you see? So if we want to think or speak correctly and usefully about eternal election or predestination or preordination of God's children to eternal life, we should make it our custom to avoid speculating about God's bare, secret, concealed, mysterious foreknowledge. Instead, we should think or speak about how God's counsel, purpose, and ordination in Christ Jesus, who is the true book of life, is revealed to us through the Word. All right? So again, if, you, if you're doubtful of your salvation, you go to God's Word and you listen to the promises that God gives you there. And by that Word, the Holy Spirit works faith so that, again, you are in the faith and you can be confident for the day of judgment. This is why um, I'm very um, adamant that you not isolate yourself from the regular preaching and hearing of God's word, because it is the preaching and hearing of God's word that actually, teaching, that actually um, gives you the kind of confidence that God wants you to have for the day of judgment, so you can live without fear in in his righteousness and his holiness all the days of your life, right? In other words, the entire teaching about God's purpose, counsel, will, and ordination belongs to our redemption, call, justification, and salvation. Think third article of the Creed. They should be treated together the way Paul treats them and has, a, and has explained this article, Romans 8, 29 and following, Ephesians 1, 4 and following. And as Christ treated it in the parable of Matthew 22, namely, that God in his purpose and counsel ordained the following. Right. So this is these are the confident assertions we can make as Christians. The human race is truly redeemed and reconciled with God through Christ. By his faultless obedience, suffering, and death, Christ merited for us the righteousness that helps us before God and also merits eternal life. Such merit and benefits of Christ are presented, offered, and distributed to us through his word and sacraments. Three, by his Holy Spirit, through the word, when it is preached, heard, and pondered, Christ will be effective and active in us, will convert hearts to true repentance, and preserve them in the true faith. Four, the Spirit will justify all those who in true repentance receive Christ by a true faith. He will receive them into grace, the adoption of sons, and inheritance of eternal life. Five, he will also sanctify and love those who are justified, as Paul says in Ephesians 1. Six, he will also protect them in their great weakness against the devil, the world, and the flesh. He will rule and lead them in his ways, raise them again when they stumble, comfort them under the cross and in temptation, and preserve them for eternal life. Seven, he will also strengthen, increase, and support to the end the good work that he has begun in them. If they cling to God's word, pray diligently, abide in God's goodness, and faithfully use the gifts they have received. Eight, finally, he will eternally save and glorify in in life eternal those whom he has elected, called, and justified. God has prepared salvation not only in general, in this counsel, purpose, and ordination, in grace he has considered and chosen to salvation each and every one of his elect who are to be saved through Christ. He has also ordained that in the way just mentioned, he will, by his grace, gifts, and efficacy, bring them to salvation. He will aid, promote, strengthen, and preserve them. All right. So notice, too, that the formula is very careful to say that God has appointed particular means by which he's promised to deliver this calling, election, gathering, salvation, right? And a neglect of the means by which Jesus has promised to save or looking to other means to save um, will not give you the kind of confident hope for the day of judgment. So maybe that would be a helpful theme for us to work out uh, on Sunday is how can we be confident in the day of judgment, right? And there the formula of conqueror gives us a really helpful summary, I think. Anyway, again, that's Formula of Concord, Article 11, on God's uh, eternal foreknowledge and election. All right, good. Let's sing our hymn for the week, Prepare the Royal Highway. 
Prepare the royal highway, the King of kings is near. Let every hill and valley a level road appear. Then greet the King of glory, foretold in sacred story. Hosanna to the Lord, for he fulfills God's word. God's people see him coming, your own eternal King. Let branches strew before him, spread garments, shout, and sing. God's promise will not fail you, no more shall doubt assail you. Hosanna to the Lord, for he fulfills God's word. Then fling the gates wide open to greet your promised King, your King yet every nation its tribute to should bring. All lands bow down before him, all nations now adore him. Hosanna to the Lord, for he fulfills God's word. His is no earthly kingdom, it comes from heaven above. His rule is peace and freedom, and justice, truth, and love. So let your praise be sounding, for kindness so abounding. Hosanna to the Lord, for he fulfills God's word. All right. What a lovely hymn. Let us pray. Stir up your power, O Lord, and come, that by your protection we may be rescued from the threatening perils of our sins and saved by your mighty deliverance. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We pray this day for faithfulness to the end, for the renewal of those who are withering in the faith or have fallen away, for pastors as they prepare to administer Christ's holy gifts, and for receptive hearts and minds on the Lord's day. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. We pray this day in Thanksgiving with Carol celebrating her birthday with the households of our church, especially Jennifer, Catherine, Doug and Teresa, Michael, Jack and Patty, Renee. Pray for all our catechumens, uh, especially Wyatt and James, Aaliyah, Cole, Lydia, Charlie, Kaylee, and Kimberly. Pray for those who are ill, receiving treatment or recovering, especially Ralph, Allison, Joe, Dennis, Len, Christopher, Sophie and Brad, Ron, Carol, Doug, Donna, Joan, Sandy, Owen, and Wendell, Jolene, and District President Willie. Pray for our homebound, Marcy, Dan, Lenore, Paul, Dolores, Merlin, and Pauline. Pray for the missions and mercy work of the church, especially that of Place for Refuge, our mission of the month. 
and continue to pray for Walt, um, who is near death. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right, that's our congregation prayer for today, Saturday, um, December 9th, 2023. It's good to have you with us. This was pre-recorded. Uh, should be on my way back probably by this point or nearly um, from Minnesota. Hopefully a uh, delightful concert last evening. Uh, God blessed the work there. And uh, let's see what else. Tomorrow is divine service, but of course, before divine service, 815, Bible study. And, uh, and then so Bible study, divine service at 930. Bible study, we're going to keep going through all the sacred dimensions of uh, Ezekiel, which might seem a little tedious, but uh, well, hopefully we can bring some more insights into some of the particular details there and what they might um, have to confess with Christ, of Christ. All right, so we'll do that. Um, all scripture is inspired by God uh, and is, is useful for us. Sometimes it's a little bit harder to, to determine that. Um, let's see. And then after divine service, uh, will the men will meet for the monthly men's ministry. All right, so uh, encourage your, if you're female, encourage your husband um, to do that uh, or the, encourage the men after church to remain for a meal and um, for fellowship. I thank Mike, thank Mike for uh, doing that. Of course, uh, thanks to everyone um, who uh, had the, prepared the meal on Wednesday night. Uh, I'm really grateful for the way that uh, our congregation often comes together um, and volunteers um, on behalf of the, of the church, also all the volunteering um, for the school, right, and to promote and to uh, support the work there. So, um, yeah, I, I appreciate it. So, God be with you all, uh, and we'll see you in the morning. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.